From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at large-scale tutoring and its potential to address some of the most significant educational challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that the reports that people are producing about the impact of the online learning, these are catastrophic. I'm not talking about achievement data here. I'm talking about, you know, how many kids actually logged on and how many actually stayed on. And the uh, the numbers are very terrifying. We welcome Johns Hopkins professor and founder of the Success for All Foundation, Robert Slavin, who has joined a chorus of experts advocating for large-scale tutoring when schools begin to reopen. He joins CPRI Executive Director Jonathan Sapovitz to discuss what we know about tutoring. We did a... Uh major review of research on programs for struggling readers in elementary school. And we're looking at everything that anybody's ever tried. And one thing that was crystal clear is that just nothing, absolutely nothing, approaches the effectiveness of tutoring. And the feasibility of offering high-quality programs in schools across the country. The only way this is going to happen on a large scale is if it's seen as an employment program as well as a tutoring program. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Jonathan Sapovitz, Executive Director of the Consortium for Policy Research and Education at the University of Pennsylvania. Today I have the great pleasure of welcoming Robert Slavin, who's a professor and director of the Center for Research and Reform in Education at Johns Hopkins University School of Education. He's also the founder of, of the Success for All Foundation and a really a prolific contributor to educational research. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Bob. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we're coming off a very strange school year that was cut short for millions of students due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And all indications and some preliminary research tells us that many of the students are now going to be falling behind academically, um, something called the COVID-19 slide. And as we begin looking towards the fall and the possibility of resuming in-person instruction, or maybe a hybrid version of instruction, researchers are calling on states, districts, and schools to plan for this and increase supports for struggling students. Um, so, Bob, in your experience and from what you've seen this year, do you share this assessment of this um, this likely decline in student learning? I think it's certain. Uh, I think that the reports that people are producing about the impact of the uh, the online learning these are catastrophic. I mean, there are islands of excellence and uh, individual kids who are benefiting from uh, online learning. But the great majority uh, are not attending. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about achievement data here. I'm talking about, you know, how many kids actually logged on and how many actually stayed on. And uh, the uh, the numbers are very terrifying. Uh, so I think that you've got to assume that the great majority of kids, and especially the, the uh, great majority uh, of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, haven't been in school for six months, or they won't have been in school for six months and that's assuming that the schools open on time in September, fully open on time in September, which almost nobody is assuming. 
as we think about the, as we put this into context, students are having, you know, students go through 12 years of education before they graduate from high school. And so this, while it seems like a substantial portion, it's a slice of that larger experience. Um, would this affect kids differentially at different points in time of their experience? I think it's logical that it would. Uh, in particular, you'd expect a bigger impact for students at the early stages of learning. So students who are learning to read and have had a major interruption in that progress or just learning the basics of mathematics. Maybe, it, you know, kids who have just started algebra uh, in uh, middle school, let's say, and then had that interrupted might have more of an impact than uh, suffer more of an impact than kids who you know, we're in the middle of a long learning sequence on a, on a particular topic. I don't know. That's just, you know, pure speculation. But I, I would expect that, uh, that the younger kids are really going to be, uh, in very serious difficulty in particular. And that's, uh, that's obviously exacerbated by the greater challenges of, of engaging younger kids in, in these distance learning opportunities. Well, actually, there's some evidence that the problem is even greater in middle and high school. Uh, I mean, in terms of whether they actually even turned on the equipment. But yes, it is, I think it's particularly, uh, difficult. I think that young kids in those early stages of learning, uh, really depend a great deal on the teacher. They are forming a conception of themselves as good learners or not good learners. And, you know, and this just, you know, quite substantial interruption has got to be uh, particularly damaging for them. So the the one thing, it, it, consistently with your idea that this this is a small slice if you take the long view, the one piece of, of uh, hopeful observation from the evidence is that uh, there was there were studies in the Netherlands at the end of World War II that looked at kids, not in terms of learning, but in terms of IQ, after they were going back to school after their schools had been closed for, you know, two or three years in many cases. And they found that there were substantial losses in IQ for the kids who were returning to school. But when they tested again in a few years, those were remedied. I mean, they, they, they were back to the level of IQ that they were before. Uh, so it may be that, you know, if we're not doing anything too harmful, that uh, that kids will go back. But also, let's be honest, there are many, many children who were far behind before the COVID crisis, and those are the ones that we have the greatest reason to expect are also losing a great deal now. And so uh, I think that you'd, have, you'd be least sanguine about the likelihood that the kids who were already behind uh, and then had this great interruption are going to just catch up under the normal course of things. That's right. And that leads us to um, to the focus of this conversation. So, Bob, you've been studying implementation and effectiveness of tutoring programs for many years now, and you've recently written a blog on this issue where you're advocating for large-scale tutoring as, as part of the solution to the COVID-related learning loss. So, before we get to what you think should be done. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've done and what you've learned about the effectiveness of tutoring. We did a uh, major review of research on programs for 
uh, struggling readers in elementary school, and um, we're looking at everything that anybody's ever tried. And one thing what was that was crystal clear is that just nothing, absolutely nothing, approaches the effectiveness of tutoring. Now, of course, nobody's ter- terribly surprised by that, but they say, well, tutoring's terribly expensive. And there's been progress on that as well that we found in this, uh, this same review. Uh, one of the things that we found uh, is that teaching assistants, typically people with a, a, a college degree but not a teaching certificate, can be just as effective as certified tutors. In other words, if you have a, a new graduate from college and they've got a well-structured program, good training, good follow-up, and that sort of thing, they are able to get learning gains that are essentially identical to those of certified teachers who are given that same program. Now, it doesn't mean that the teaching assistants have all of the skills a teacher has. Teacher has to know way more than what you need to do to to work with uh, one or a small group of kids on a, on one topic with you know reading, but for that specific task, teaching assistants can be very effective. The salary cost about half of what a a certified teacher does, so obviously that has a big impact on cost effectiveness. The other thing that um, is very important is that in the past people have uh, believed that you had to have one to one for tutoring to be effective. And it is the case that one-to-one in reading uh, is more effective than one-to-two or one-to-four or whatever, you know, one-to-small group. But the difference is not so great so that in terms of cost effectiveness, uh, you can work with four kids and get results that are close enough to what you get in one-to-one, but you're getting them with four kids instead of one. And that's also extremely important because you're just not going to be able to remedy the uh, problems that uh, millions of kids are going to have uh, by tutoring them just one-to-one. Say more about what you, um, what the kind of basic training that a tutor would need to have. The programs that are most successful are pretty structured. They, they've got a definite uh, sequence of uh, activities that's based on uh, assessments of where kids are and starting the kids in the place where they need to be, and then, uh, you know, step-by-step activities that they're doing and uh, then assessments of their progress and, and ideas about what to do when they're not making good progress. So that uh, if you're using programs of that kind, then one day of training uh, should usually do it and then have follow-up, you know, have people come and watch tutoring sessions and give feedback and uh, uh, monitor how, how the students are progressing and that sort of thing, that can be enough to have kids being very successful in tutoring. They don't need to be, uh, you know, taught absolutely everything about the science of teaching reading, but they need to be very able to use a program that has within it clear enough uh, guidelines and materials for students to use to be sure that kids are getting what they need. So th- I, I think this is an important distinction that you're making between, um, you know, finding a bunch of folks and saying, um, you know, provide additional support to kids as opposed to having a structured program which has a system around it 
that tutors can learn to function within. Exactly. I think that people who have tried to use uh, teaching assistants to do things that are very open-ended, you know, or to, to, to teach them extensively about the nature of reading and then say, go to it, uh, have been very unsuccessful. Uh, the ones that have worked are ones that are very, you know, uh, very structured, very consistent, and uh, give tutors a pretty clear uh, idea of what to do in the first place and then what what to, to do based on student responses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, any, um, any thoughts about scale-up, which is obviously going to be another big um, issue here as, as lots of schools and districts and even states look to this as a supplement to the challenges of their of the moment uh well that that's that is a a, a daunting question uh, we just started a a twitter sequence there's a word for this but uh and uh my uh, colleague who's actually doing it was wondering well what do we call it and i said well let's call it a million tutors because that million tutors would be one tutor for every 55 kids in America. Okay, well, that may be reasonable. But now start thinking about how many tutors a million tutors is. Do we really need that number? I don't know. But, uh, but, but the scale-up is a big issue. I think that uh, one idea that many people have had and that there's some proposals even in the, the, the uh, Congress right now uh, would be to enormously expand AmeriCorps which AmeriCorps provides, you know, one-year internships, essentially, mostly for new college graduates who do good things for the society. And a lot of what AmeriCorps has done has, has involved tutoring. And um, they are very good. First off, they operate at a pretty large scale now. I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, quite large and national. And so there is, there's an infrastructure already there, and you could probably build out uh, AmeriCorps to, you know, to 10 times its size without harming anything because they know basically what to do. Um, other kinds of existing things on the ground right now might include uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or City Year, or, um, uh, you know, things of that kind. The big national organizations that work locally that could, uh, given proven tutoring models uh, would know how to recruit, train, monitor, uh, ensure the success of uh, large numbers of young people. I think that this is, a, this is a really good point that you're making, which is don't create a parallel structure from scratch, but utilize existing structures and systems to pivot towards this need. I, I would hope that that could happen, and uh, but it is interesting that the uh, the proposals that I've heard uh, from in the U.S. Uh, have have generally referred to AmeriCorps specifically uh, as a good example of uh, how you might do this. Hmm. So um, obviously, funding is going to be a big issue for schools and districts um, come fall, and so. Are there ways that they might think of smaller scale tutoring strategies based on what you've learned? All of these tutoring, all the, the proven tutoring strategies um, that there are, and there, there are 
you know, many of them. And, and I, by the way, we did a review in mathematics as well, and tutoring is just as effective there, and a lot of the same dynamics I'm talking about in reading also apply to mathematics. But um, I think that, so they've been used on a, on a significant scale, uh, most of them, uh, and so obviously you could do something smaller in a local area using whatever funds you can uh, get hold of. But um, I think that there's the problem here is so large and it's so immediate uh, that to just rely on a little tutoring here and a little tutoring there, you know, it's going to help the kids who get it. But I think that the problem needs to be approached on a much larger scale if possible. You know, you mentioned um, AmeriCorps, but but obviously a huge number of people have been thrown out of work. So I so I would assume that there's a lot of labor out there that that might be redirected towards this pressing need. Exactly. And that, that's kind of my assumption is that uh, the only way this is going to happen on a large scale is if it's seen as an employment program as well as a tutoring program. Uh, and you will have uh, very, very large numbers of people uh, coming out of uh, – college or, uh, you know, other kinds of uh, educational programs trying to get into the workforce, and they won't have a hope in hell. Uh, I mean, from past recessions, we know that, uh, you know, things are bad enough for existing workers who may lose their jobs, but the impact on uh, people who are just, just entering the workforce force are not only very, uh, more, more serious, but they're very long-lasting. I mean, in many ways, uh, people who were not able to get uh, jobs when they came out of school in, let's say, 2008 or 2009 in the last recession uh, are still far behind in economic progress and in, in the labor force uh, compared to people who came out in more prosperous times because, you know, you may be, you know, an employer says, well, do I want to take a chance on somebody who hasn't been working for the last five years? You say, no, I don't think so. Uh, and so that whole generation can suffer. So in a way, seen purely as an employment program, a massive uh, tutoring model would, would be great. You remember in, in the Obama administration, they were always looking for shovel-ready projects like, uh, you know, roads and bridges and that sort of thing to provide employment to unemployed people. But um, the difficulty is that uh, not everything is shovel-ready in the infrastructure world, whereas you've got five point, you get, you have 55 million kids in school, every one of whom has missed quite a lot of school uh, and probably could benefit from tutoring. And certainly if you figure half of them are in the greatest difficulty uh, and might benefit from tutors, you know, there's... Um, no end of work to be done so you know is if you can solve the scale up issue and and make sure that you're providing really terrific tutors to work with kids who are having uh, difficulties because of their the gap in their teaching then that that's something that you could hire people very quickly for and uh, roll out uh, to make a big difference for employment as well as for children who are struggling well, as you've just so eloquently illustrated, this is such a pressing and important topic. And, um, you know, the time to act really is now. We can't wait because 
these things are rolling forward. School's going to open in some form or shape in the fall, and we know that kids have had really um, under par experiences this spring. So, Bob, I really want to thank you for sharing your work um, with us today. And for those who are interested in learning more, I would really encourage you to visit Bob Slavin's blog, which is at bobslavinsblog.wordpress.org. Robert Slavin, thank you so much for joining us today on Research Minutes. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub.